You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to let you know all about a good friend of mine and somebody who I think you should all get to know. If you are somebody who is looking for a companionship, a friendship, or romance, I want to let you know about my inclusive provider friend, Haley Jade. Haley Jade is a 30-year-old disabled bisexual offering online companionship for friends or romance. They have been published in Vice and HuffPost, and they specialize in working with disabled clients and are disabled themselves. Their online services start at $50 Canadian dollars, and they can be found on Twitter at SexyLifeCoach, Instagram at SexyLifeCoach, and you can book them via their website, Haley Jade, that's H-A-Y-L-E-Y-J-A-D-E dot C-H, to book on their website. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. If you're looking for a fun, sexy, romantic companion who specializes in disabled clients, Haley Jade is the one for you. Book them now. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 
10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to adameve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in dark pod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm your disabled Dick Smith, your number one queer cripple. My name is Andrew Gerza. Welcome to the show. Get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get this show started. First things first, as per usual, if you want to hear this show one day early on our very special Patreon feed, you can become a patron of this program, and that means you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or $5 a month to keep a big bright light shining on Disability Story with us. So this week, I want to give a shout out to my friend Francis, who pledged 10 dollars a month to keep this show going holy wow thank you so much and they just pledged because they love what i do and they said they love the show and they wanted to support it so that means a whole lot to me thank you so much francis and your weird awkward pun is this you are frankly the coolest patron this week so there you go it's awkward because i turned Francis into Frank because that's all I could think of but Francis thank you so much for supporting the show with your hard-earned dollars thank you thank you also if you do become a patron of the show you also get the show ad free we're adding more ads as people want to support the show so if you don't want to hear all the ads and you want to get right to the meat of the program you can also become a patron and it will have the episodes for you one day early and completely ad free. What could be better than that? But now let's get the episode started. Just want to put out a trigger warning on this episode. As you saw, the name of this episode is The Time I Got Abused by My Care Staff. So just know that this episode will contain discussions of abuse against a disabled person and the emotional after effects of that incident. If you find discussions like that triggering, I fully understand why you might not want to listen to this episode. Alright, I'm going to put that trigger warning forward and let you make your own decision, but now let's get started with the episode. 
I've been trying to figure out if this story is worth telling at all, whether or not the story has any merit or consequence now. I have struggled with what you listeners of Disability After Dark might think of me as the host if I shared this story with you. Would you think less of me? Would you think I was a bad person? Would the hot, persona, hot, sexy, disabled lover persona that I projected on the show for the last three and a half years, would that be tarnished forever if I talked about this incident? Would anyone care that I had been abused and neglected by my attendant, or is it something that people assume happens but we never talk about? Would it make a worthy and necessary podcast episode? I struggled with all of this when I was thinking about doing this episode, and I've been thinking about putting this episode out on the podcast for quite a long time now, but I just didn't know how to do it, and it just never felt like the right time. There are always other episodes that I could draw on, other things that I could talk about, other stuff that I could bring forward. But since the podcast has now become you know, about disability stories and stories that we don't often hear about, I felt it was almost even more necessary for me to tell this story. And when I put aside all of my fears and lay out my true feelings about telling the story, I realized that that more than anything that I have a responsibility to share this story with you as it is something that happened to me and I need to use it to help other disabled people who have been put in the same position I am so they know they're not alone and so they know that they too can rise above incidents like this and they know that they have somewhere to turn to should anything happen to them. So I had to talk about it as much as hard as it will be for me to get through this episode. What I'm going to share with you is a highly personal account of what happened to me when I was abused by one of my care staff. Um, and I'm going to go into a lot of the story and talk about how I felt along the way. And I'm going to explore why that was important and how every feeling made me feel because I don't think we hear enough about disability abuse generally. We don't hear enough about it and it happens all the time. And we don't often hear from the perspective of the disabled person that's gone through an abusive incident at the hands of a caretaker what that's like for them and what is happening to them in the moment. And I remember this incident like it happened yesterday. The date of the incident was June 14th, 2019 at 8.45 a.m. And I remember the exact date and time and I'll probably never, ever forget that date and time for as long as I live because it's etched in my in my brain about what happened. It was one of the scariest and most vulnerable moments in my life as a disabled person. And I want to walk us through and talk us through what happened with me um, so that that and I think those those talking points that I brought up in this episode will hold a critical importance for the listeners today due to the fact that like I said we rarely hear what a disabled abuse victim may have been feeling as the whole process was occurring and what what it really felt like you're going to hear that from me here, and I'm going to be as honest and as forthright with you as I can in this episode. So, let me tell you what happened. It was my morning booking on June 14th at 8.30, and I had woken up like usual. Everything seemed fine. My attending care worker had come to get me up. He and I had spent the last three years working together. We were we had built 
a really friendly rapport with one another. I really liked him. We were really playful with each other. We joked around and we would give each other the finger playfully. Really, we're really playful ribbing with each other. Um, much of my sense of humor with an attendant that I really like and get along with is to be kind of playful and kind of pretend to be sardonic and pretend to be really, to pretend to be an asshole but not actually be an asshole. Just play around. Really jokey and really, really kind of playful that way. That's how I, I like to conduct my care sessions when I'm with a caregiver that I like to spend time with. And we, we had been doing this, he and I, for the last previous three years. So I felt pretty confident in his demeanor and who I thought he was. And I was quite okay when he entered my home that morning. And we had no problem initially when we first started working together that day and it was completely not a problem and I, I didn't I didn't see it going where it went. On that particular morning it was time for me to have a shower and it was time for me to get up and have my day and I had gone to the I had gone to the washroom and done my all my ablutions and done all the things that I normally would do and I had my morning constitutional and I took my daily shit and I was quite happy and it was time for me to go in the shower and I love my morning shower it's one of my most favorite things. I, I feel the need to make that clear here. My shower is something that I take great pride in because I can't shower myself and I rely on someone else to help me with that. So my shower is something that I, unless I'm feeling sick or not feeling well that day, I typically have a shower every single day um, because it, it's one of the small luxuries of my day as a disabled person and it's something that I really, truly enjoy. Um, so we were talking and we were just joking around and being playful, like I said. And he transferred me to my shower chair. And at this point, I am completely 100% naked and 100% reliant on him. If you've never seen a commode chair or a shower chair before, they're completely manual. They're something that a caregiver would have to, or an attendant care worker, would have to navigate. I cannot access the, the commode chair on my own. It's completely something that a non-disabled person helping you would have to do. So if you've never seen one, I, I have no... It's not like my wheelchair. It's not something I can readily access on my own. He has to do all the work, and I am 100% reliant on this person. So we were talking, and everything was okay, and we were all right there, and and, th and I should note that this attendant care worker who, I, who I've known for three years was also the primary scheduler at the site so he was the one that set up your up booking he was the one that set up your bedtime booking he was the one that set up your lunch and your dinner and any bathroom calls you required he was the one that took care of all this for you so you you would be connected to him if you had to have a scheduling change or something happened or was necessary so that's who he was so uh, that morning we were talking, I was in the shower, we were getting ready for me to have my shower. And as we started doing the care and he started washing me and things, he casually mentioned to me that I couldn't have a shower the next day. He was like, oh, you won't be able to shower tomorrow because we're short-staffed or something of, of that nature. And I said to him, you know, hey, um, okay, I actually have a thing that I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I have to go pick up my friend from the airport. I was going to meet friend of the pod and porn star Jay Austin that day, the next day, and I wanted to go meet him, and I wanted to be clean and fresh and, and sexy, and like I wanted to feel my best to go meet my friend, 
if you're going to the airport to meet a friend, of course, you want to look your best. And I was going to meet a porn star. I wanted to look my absolute best for him. He was somebody that I was nervous as fuck to go meet. And I wanted to make sure I could have a shower to meet him. So I advised the attendant care worker that I had this meeting and that I had to have a shower and can we please figure it out. And the attendant care manager said, to, or the, the attendant care person said to me, well, you are not allowed to have a shower tomorrow. And I pressed him again and said, hey, it's completely imperative that I have a shower tomorrow. It's absolutely 100% necessary that I shower tomorrow. This is something that I need from you. Please make sure that happened. And I was slightly more forceful because I realized he was telling me no. And I realized also that I'm a 35-year-old man at this point in my own home being denied the basic tenets of care. And I wasn't going to stand for that. I was like, no, 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 this is not okay. This is not all right. I want to have a shower. Here's why I need it. Please, let's work with me. And normally, if, if I wasn't doing something like that, I and he said, you can't shower, that wouldn't have... It wouldn't have turned into a fight. I would have said, okay, no problem. Don't worry about it. We would have moved on with our day. But but when he told me that I was not allowed to shower, I became very upset. And I realized very quickly that this was no longer a negotiation and that my rights were being infringed upon. And I, I felt like it was really necessary for me to stand my ground here. In that exchange... We were talking, and I had off the cuff just said, Oh, come on, man. You're fucking up my plans tomorrow. I need you to, you know, not fuck up my plans. I, got, I have this big thing I got to do. Can we please make sure I have a shower tomorrow, please? And let me be clear. I did not direct any foul language at him. I did not say, fuck you. I can't shower. Fuck off. I said, come on, man. You're fucking up my plans tomorrow. I got to have the shower. Please help me do this. Please help me do this. And he, I did not swear at him at all. And he and I had, like I said, we'd said fuck you to each other playfully over the years. We had, you know, made sarcastic comments to one another over the years. So I truly, at that point, thought nothing of what was happening. And thought I would just say that off the cuff and we would move things along. Or I actually wouldn't shower and we would just figure things out. Um, and I said, you know, you're, it's really not fair. I need to have a shower because of this thing I got to do. And I reiterated my point to him, but I thought nothing of what would come next. The next thing I knew, and I could not believe, and I still can't believe this happened to me, the attendant yanked me, yanked my shower chair out of the shower, so I'm sitting in the shower chair, and he forcefully wheeled the commode, or the shower chair, into my room. So without my consent, and all of the while I'm saying, no, no, I don't want this, he's wheeling me into my room without my consent. Through all of this, he was saying that I wasn't allowed to swear at him, and how dare I talk to him in that way. Remember, I'm a grown 35-year-old man at that point, expressing my displeasure at a basic tenant of care that I'm being denied. Wouldn't you be upset if you were told in your own home as a grown person that you couldn't shower if you wanted to? I think a lot of you listening who are non-disabled would probably be upset if you were told you couldn't do a lot less then have a shower. So the fact that I was upset over, over something as basic as a shower because I was told by somebody that, no, I'm not allowed, I think that's warranted. Um, then he put me in my sling forcefully all the while I'm saying no to him. I'm screaming no at this point, saying I don't want to be put in bed. I don't want to do that. 
At this point, I'm screaming at him and I'm telling him that he has no right to do what he's doing. Um, he put me in my lift, in my hoist, without consent. I did not want to go in my in my hoist, and he did it anyway. And I realized at this point, and I'll talk about this more in a second. I realized at this point how little I could actually do for myself as a disabled person, and that that gave me some pause and, and gave me some upset because I realized that I was completely at the mercy of this person, and that hurt a lot. Um, so at this point, I was telling him that I was that he that he was. That he, that he, rather, sorry, I was telling him that he was abusive, that he had no right to do this. He put me in my bed naked, I had no clothes on, without direct access to my cell phone. He made sure that I could not reach my cell phone. And he told me as he was leaving the room that he would come back once I apologized for swearing at him. Now, I didn't swear at him again. I swore at the situation. I was a 35-year-old man expressing my displeasure over being denied basic care. You might swear too. At this point, I did call him an asshole quite loudly and he left the room. In this moment, I was completely naked in my bed and completely disoriented. I couldn't understand what had happened to me and I didn't understand how it had escalated to this point. Did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? I've been lucky in living in the kind of care that I live in and the kind of care homes that I live in or have lived in. I've been lucky that in all my years working with staff, I've only encountered troubling behavior like that maybe less than a handful of times. It really hasn't happened very often to me. And so because of that, I think I I held some privilege in, in, in thinking that how could this have happened? How did it get here? It, it hasn't happened like this before. What is happening? What's going on? I was so confused by the the rapidity with which this happened the the quickness with which this incident occurred and then there i was alone in my bed naked without without any access to the outside world without my phone without help without any of that and i very quickly it dawned on me as i was lying there naked in my bed that i that this was a criminal act and what he had done definitely constituted neglect definitely constituted abuse and I think when that dawned on me I just broke down and just started crying because I couldn't could not fathom that this had occurred to me at all I could not believe that this had gone on and I, I couldn't believe th that I had let this happen I was starting to replay the whole scenario in my mind and trying to suss out where things may have taken a wrong turn and I just couldn't understand how that could happen. I was so unaware of how I got here and I, I certainly understand when people say they've been abused and they kind of go into a daze. As I'll talk about in a minute, I was in a daze for much longer than just being in the bed. I, it lasted for some days. So I fully empathize with people who have also been abused in different ways, and the way that time slows down and time stops and time's, time becomes a different thing when that starts happening to you, and you don't know how to process that. So I fully recognize that this is something that can happen to people who have been abused in a multitude of ways. The time slows down, and, and things, get, things start to feel very different.
in this moment when I was lying in the bed, I also felt extremely aware of my own disability and how much I couldn't actually do for myself in this instance. Right in this instance, I longed for independence in, in all its forms. I wanted to be able to walk. I wanted to be able to jump. I wanted to be able to kick. I wanted to be able to punch. I wanted to be able to run away from the scenario and do what I could to be okay. And the reality is that I was lying in the dead turtle position, unable to take care of myself. All I could do was scream. All I could do was cry. All I could do was get mad and yell. But I could not physically help myself if I wanted to. Couldn't get out of the bed. Couldn't have stopped him from doing what he did. And that was really fucking scary. That was something that I... That even as I think about it even now, it's still scary. I never truly understood what a vulnerable person was and what a vulnerable person felt like and the idea of what a vulnerable person was supposed to be until that, that happened to me. And so in, the, in that moment, as I said, I didn't have my cell phone with me. So I used all of my strength and anger and upset to reach my phone. And, and luckily I was able to grab my phone. I can remember as I was doing that and as I was lying there, I also remember, remember picturing all the times that I had heard the words, quote, vulnerable person, end quote, in reference to disabled people and being almost weirdly proud that I didn't fall in that category or that I had thought for all this time that I didn't fall into that category until right now. As I was lying naked in my bed at this point, I felt undignified, hurt, angry that somebody would leave a vulnerable person naked in their bed. I felt, dare I say, less human than I had before. And that was really a jarring moment for me. I felt really, really, truly upset by what had happened. And I could not believe that somebody would leave a disabled person the way they had left me. After all that time struggling to reach my phone, crying and screaming and wondering what would happen next, I finally grabbed hold of my phone and called. The first person I called was my mom. Now, I was in shock at this point, and I was still in disbelief about what was occurring. So I distinctly remember calling her and trying to act as if what had just happened to me, the abuse that had just happened to me, wasn't such a big deal. I remember saying something like, well, I'm stuck in my bed again, Mom. I was trying to grasp on to some semblance of independence, to some idea that I would be okay. But also, I remember very distinctly in that moment trying to hold on to this idea of manhood and what it meant to be a man. I wanted my mom to, to feel and to know that as a man, I would be okay. As a 35-year-old man without disabilities... Should something like this have occurred to me, I should have been able to get out of it. And I wanted her to know that even though I was disabled, I could handle this. I would take care of this. I would be all right. And so I tried so hard during that conversation with her when I was trapped in my bed naked. I tried so hard to be calm and to be okay and to be as if it was no big deal or whatever. This happens all the time. But I knew deep inside that what had happened wasn't all right, that it wasn't okay, and it should not be acceptable in any way. And I was really scared and angry, but I tried 
hard to not let my mom see that. My mom then called the president of the agency where I live, and she started raising hell. She got on the phone, and she got all the way to the president of the company and started telling them what was happening, saying I was stuck up there, saying they had to get somebody to me right now. I remember calling the office number of where the attendants work, and and I was ready to demand to get out of the be- out of bed. And the abusive staff member that I had just seen answered the phone, and I said, "I need to. I want you to come upstairs and get me out of bed right now. Come do this right now." And he laughed at me when I demanded to get out of bed. He laughed and said, I'm not coming to you until you apologize. Ha ha ha. And he hung up the phone. I felt absolutely deflated. I was like, what just happened? Oh my goodness. What is going on? What just occurred? How could all of those feelings kept racing in my mind because I couldn't believe that I had called for help, that I demanded assistance, that I finally got my phone, and I was still being told in a really rude and and vindictive manner. No, I'm not going to help you. That's terrifying. As somebody who needs a lot of help, I can tell you that I was truly scared of this person at this point. I feel I felt like he was, you know, maybe he was having a mental health problem. I don't know. But I certainly did not feel safe. I certainly did not feel okay in that moment. And I felt like every barb of ableism that I had ever experienced was coming at me full force right in this moment. I laid there in my bed for a while longer and I decided that it was finally time to call 911. I was really hesitant to make that call and in in making that decision I was extremely unsure. I spent a good five to ten minutes lying there staring at my phone thinking is this really an emergent situation? Would I be taking a police unit or an ambulance unit away from someone who actually needs it? Even in that moment, as I was being abused, I was minimizing what was happening to me, not allowing myself to see what was happening to me as a crisis or even really that important, which I think highlights how insidious and how slow-burning ableism, and especially internalized ableism, can be when moments like that happen to you where you think, oh, I don't really, I shouldn't call the police. Someone else who's worse off should get their services or I shouldn't call the EMS. Someone else who really needs them should get their, their services. And that is a true signal that that um, internalized ableism is very real, extremely real. So when I finally dialed the 911 and I, I got a hold of an operator and I tried to explain what had happened, and that I was trapped in bed as a disabled person. I remember that the operator was like, what's wrong? What happened to you? You're in bed and you're okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. I was trapped in bed by my attendant care worker, and they were like, well, why don't you just call them? Why are you calling us? And I kept being like, they've left me here, and it's been it's been some time, and I need support. Please help. And so I spent probably a good three to four minutes trying to explain to the operator on the phone what was happening to me. Um, they also didn't seem to think that it was urgent. They were like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. Like, you'll be all right. Just wait for your cares. And they're like, we'll send somebody, but just wait 
for your caregiver to come back. And I was like, I don't know when they're going to come back. And I kept trying to, to italicize and emphasize how important it was that they get somebody over here because they just were like, oh, yeah, we'll get somebody there when we can. Don't worry about it. And the police actually didn't show up to talk to me until four days later. Yeah, you heard that exactly right. Four days later, the police came back. And, and we'll come back to that, and I'll explain, I'll explain more about what happened when the police did come by. But, so, I did that, and they said the police were coming. And finally, two hours after the incident happened, so around 10.45, my, an, or an attendant care worker came to get me up, came to, to get me out of bed. Finally, after I had had my mom scream and yell, and I had screamed and yelled, and I tried to get somebody up there, so they got me dressed, and I was extremely angry at this point. I was in shock, and I wasn't okay, and I was very, very upset. So this poor person that got me up, I was not in the mood to be to be talked to or even really touched. I was not happy at all. Um, so they got me up. I was so angry at that point. Um, they And they got me dressed, and they put me in my chair. But I was in a complete daze. I felt completely disconnected from myself and every time an attendant care worker would touch me or try to offer me care of any sort I flinched and I would lash out at them and yell at them and I harbored a ton a ton of anger I was not okay at all I was I was the word I'll use is I was traumatized I can remember sitting in my wheelchair in my house for most of that afternoon, completely paralyzed. And I was paralyzed just by fear. And I, I say that without any any kind of like, without any kind of joke to disability. I was, I was stuck. I didn't know what to do. My mom and I were talking throughout this whole experience. And she advised me then to go see a doctor so that I could get proof of what had happened to me. I called my doctor and they were on vacation or doing something somewhere else. And they weren't available. So I had to go to another clinic down the road. And I figured, okay, I'll go to this clinic and I'll let them know what happened. And I'll tell them and they'll write a report and I'll have something that is tangible to give to my caregiving team and to explain to them that I've been abused by this person and everything will be okay. So I go to the GP and I explain to them that I've been trapped in bed and that they were forceful with me. And then I was, I'm, I'm not feeling very well and I'm feeling sick and I have IBS and I have, you know, gastrointestinal issues and I have all these things that I, that I, that I live through and can you please mark down that I've been hurt so that I can get the support I need from my caregiving team. And he said, he looked me up and down within what I think was a two minute conversation and said, he looked at me in my wheelchair and said, I don't see any marks of anything so I can't say it was abuse and I said I've been emotionally abused by this person I was trapped in my bed I need you to write something down and this doctor who is supposed to have my my best needs at heart said I can't see any signs of abuse or any markings or, or anything so I can't write anything down and I was even now more upset because I was like what do I have to do do I have to get beaten and like bloodied in order for you to believe that something happened to me, and in order for you to believe that I require some kind of report from you as a medical professional to get the care that I need. 
And this just, this just made me so, I was even more scared because this was another avenue that I should have gone to for, that I could have gone to for help that was telling me we're refusing to help you. And I remember getting into a cab and leaving his office and just swearing and saying, fuck that guy, fuck that doctor, because what do I do now? And I, this, and I was still in a daze, I was still in shock. No one from the agency at this point had come to see how I was, or if they had, it was a very quick conversation, I can't remember, but we, they had barely checked in to make sure I was okay, and I was not happy to see any attendant care workers or anybody from the agency obviously so I didn't know what to do and I was sitting in this guy's cab going home from this GP that I didn't know and I just was like I don't want to go home and so I told him to actually drop me off on the street corner and I was going to walk around my neighborhood because I I didn't I was scared to go home I didn't want to go back to my house and I didn't want to go back to that place because I felt it wasn't safe there and I didn't feel comfortable there at all. And it was June, it was summertime in Toronto, so I walked around my downtown and I stayed at a local convenience store, which any Canadians will know, it's called Shoppers Drug Mart, it's a really popular um, drug store, drug mart, and I I stayed there for about two hours and I walked around and I looked at... um, things on the shelves and I just didn't want to leave there and I remember just staying in that store and going back and forth up the aisles trying to figure out what to do and finally when I left the convenience store I decided that I was going to go I was going to go directly to the police because they hadn't come to file a report at that point they hadn't come to see me so I thought it would be wise if I went right into the police station And maybe if they saw me in my wheelchair and I explained to them what had happened, they would, you know, jump to action and save the day, as I had falsely presumed that policemen were supposed to do. We we have been taught since we were young that policemen are supposed to save the day and do the right thing and help the vulnerable people. And I, I expected that if I went into the police station, that's what would happen to me. So I took myself to the police station. I wheeled inside. I went inside and I told the big officer at the front desk that I needed to file a report and I needed to talk to somebody. And instead of even listening to me in any way whatsoever, this big cop came out from behind the desk, came to me and said, in the most condescending voice I've ever heard, said, Hey buddy, do you want me to walk you home? What group home do you come from? And I remember just thinking, fuck you. I'm a grown person. I'm in shock. I'm telling you something bad happened to me. And because I'm, a, I'm in a wheelchair and you don't know how to handle that, I'm a wheelchair user, and it's clear you have no training on how to navigate that system, you have the audacity to ask me what group home I came from, as if I don't have the mental faculties to tell you what happened, which is both insulting to me as a person with with physical disabilities and extremely insulting to people with intellectual disabilities who also are the victims of assault and may not be able to be as articulate as others, 
they know what happened to them and I feel I felt like that whole interaction looking back on it was insulting to the disabled communities in a whole number of different ways after the policeman said that I wheeled home angry again and I started saying fuck you like in my under my breath I was like fuck fuck what do I do fuck fuck I felt dejected and for the next three days I called the police line I spoke to rude police officers who told me that it wasn't really abuse and I didn't constitute abuse and I shouldn't worry about it I spoke to liaisons and people trying to get things done I tried to call the news who wouldn't see me unless I had a police report I called I put things out on social media if you've been following my Twitter for the last year and a bit you saw this thread that I put out talking about my abuse um, and so finally three days later four days after the initial incident the police showed up at my door unannounced on a Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. when I was still in bed and I remember they came into my apartment knocked on my door and said hey it's the Toronto police open up so I open the door and I'm in bed under the covers naked unable to properly greet them how humiliating would it be for you to, to have called a meeting with the police to explain that you were abused to try to file a report and rather than meet you at a proper time when somebody is you know up in their wheelchair or calling to ask when would it be good for us to meet with you they they knock on the door as if i as if i've done something wrong and they they barge in my home without me having the ability to properly greet them and so i just felt further dehumanized by that experience so i relayed the story again i relayed what happened and they said okay well thank you for telling us we're going to go downstairs and talk to the to the abusive attendant in question and i i immediately was like okay i don't really super agree with that because okay but do what you have to do so they came back about 10 minutes later and when they came back one of the officers said to me well he was just trying to help you in get into bed what was he supposed to do leave you in the shower he was simply trying to make sure you were safe and I noticed immediately that they sided with my caregiver and refused to even listen to what I was saying about what was happening to me and why you know I've been abused they were immediately saying well your caregiver has your best interest at heart and he was only trying to help you Andrew so why are you making a big deal about this and I was so angry because having them there telling me no and I, I made sure that they knew I was upset and they I, I also made them get get my um, get their I had the policeman superior come to my to my apartment in that interaction too and I'm I, I remember the superior, the lieutenant or whoever he was, or the sergeant I think it was, said, oh, you went to, to, to university and you studied law, so you should know what we're talking about. And I just looked at him like, how dare you suggest that because I have a background in law that I would know the ins and outs of your, of your police system. And what you're telling me is you don't want to help me, a vulnerable, disabled person, who's been abused and that was so upsetting I felt so angry because this incident highlighted for me on a personal level that the police 
don't care about disabled people the way that I had been taught they should, the way that I thought they should. I got really scared then, in, in that moment, that if anything ever happened to me again, like that, where I'd been abused or hurt by somebody, and I really, really needed someone, I would never get any actual help from the police. And that realization was almost scarier than the full incident itself. To know that as a disabled person, I would have to fend for myself. I would have to do it on my own if something were to happen to me. Understanding that level of vulnerability, knowing that the police didn't know how to help me as a disabled person, but also, and most importantly, didn't want to really help me. Knowing that they were not there to serve and protect me was really the most scary thing I've ever encountered, I think. Knowing that if everything, if anything more severe had happened, I would not be believed by both the medical system or the police system, and I would have no sign of recourse than to just accept the abuse. After the police left, my caregiving company had to conduct an investigation. They had to talk to me, and they had to talk to the caregiver and the attendant and figure out what had happened. And I was telling them quite plainly what happened. I knew what happened, and I was telling them. But by law, they had to conduct an investigation because I had claimed abuse. So they had to to do their due diligence and do what they had to do. And I understand that. But it was a really harrowing and upsetting two days. In the days while all of that investigation was happening, while I didn't have to see my abuser for any proper attendant care, I did accidentally bump into him on the elevator and I felt truly sick to my stomach when that happened. Ultimately, at the end of the day, after a lot of back and forth and a lot of fighting with the agency where I live, the attendant was fired, but it has taken me over one year to feel okay in my home again, to be put in bed by someone else, and to implicitly and without worry trust another person to do my care. It's, it was really, really a traumatic experience that I've had to work through, and it was something that I will never forget, and it was... It just made me realize how disposable people think disabled lives are and how when you are disabled and you're asking for help, nobody gives a flying fuck. But if if I were an able-bodied person or a non-disabled person saying that I had been abused, would things have gone faster? Probably. And that's a huge problem. As a result of this incident that I share with you, my anger around it has settled. They've changed management a little bit. They've changed personnel. People have changed a little bit. Things are, are slightly better here. I'm not saying they're great, but they are a little bit better. But the constant reminder that I am reliant on someone and on people who could, at the drop of a hat, hurt me because they felt like they could and overpower me if they simply if they chose to, that feeling has never gone away, and that feeling is something that will stay with me, I think, for a long time after that. And this kind of abuse that I experienced definitely, without, without question, had a ripple effect on me. And the, the, the feelings that I feel around that will not easily dissipate. 
because of what happened, I still struggle with the feelings of being less than and feeling less of a person and or a man because of this incident. My sense of masculinity has been chipped away because of this. It really makes me feel... It made me just feel like I couldn't do anything for myself. It made me feel so dependent. At one point also, I thought that maybe this was a uh, a sexual crime that I had experienced because why did he leave me naked in the bed alone without clothes on? Why why did he feel the need to do that? Was it to was it because he didn't like queer people? Was it because he wanted to ridicule me? I I went through all the scenarios in my head of what had occurred, and I really took stock of what I could and couldn't do so that the next time that this happened I could find a way to protect myself if you are disabled and you've been abused by a care worker in the way that I described in this episode please know that I see you I hear you and I understand what you've been through and the after effects and the emotional effects of 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 an incident like that and I want to tell you that you're not alone and if you need someone to talk to you can email me at andrewandandrewgrizzle.com disabilityafterdarkgmail.com andrew at thatshandy.co you can email me at all the places where you can reach me you can DM me on Twitter you can DM me on Instagram at itsandrewgrizzle let me know what's happening to you and I will do my best to find you resources to offer you support whatever I can do because I have been there myself now and I know the trauma you've been through and I want to say that I see you and I support you. I share this story with all of you also to underscore that disability abuse is 100% real and it does happen all the time and needs to be talked about with care providers and talked about with disabled people and it needs to be 100% believed. Also, I want you to let I want to let you know that if you have been through an experience like this, most importantly, you are not bad. You did not do anything wrong and you deserve support and love. Lastly, in looking for resources on disability abuse by caregivers, I found a lot of research on elder abuse, but barely anything that was specifically tied to disability abuse or the abuse of disabled people and how to get help in that regard, which is extremely telling and is rampant on the, f- and you know, the, this the, these kind of abuses are rampant and this kind of inaction or inaction to resources should tell you a lot about how we, how we devalue the disabled body. This was a hard episode for me to produce. It was really scary to tell you this story. It was really scary to relive this moment but I felt I had a duty and a responsibility to share this incident with you. And I'm really, really thankful that you let me shine a big, bright light on my disability story. I also want to let you know that if you want to come on the show and share any version of a story that you have about anything anything around disability, I would love to have you as a guest. So be sure to email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Just before I let you go, I want to let you know about another podcast that I was alerted to the other day, a new podcast called 
Demystifying Diversity Podcast, and it is a a wide-reaching audio journalism initiative that combines over 100 interviews and amplifies a variety of marginalized voices. So, the host, Darylise Lyons, is a a renowned biracial journalist, author, and activist, and speaks with people of all different races, genders, sexual orientations, ages, abilities, body types, and religious backgrounds. So, they asked me to put the trailer on this episode and so just before we go i'm gonna play the trailer now but thank you for listening to disability after dark and um enjoy the tra- this trailer for this new podcast and we'll see you soon thanks bye Now more than ever, issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion are at the forefront of the conversation. Every day, we see evidence of the devastating impact of racism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, ableism, fatphobia, gender discrimination, and many other forms of othering. People are hurting, and the first step to embracing our shared humanity is to listen to those we perceive to be different than ourselves. Join us this September for the first season of the Demystifying Diversity podcast, where you will hear expert opinions, interviews, and personal narratives of pain, resilience, and hope. You can't have these kind of conversations without eventually getting to the point of the original sin of our country, which was slavery. I have friends. I have actual people in my life whose family members have been killed because of Islamophobia. My parents were both in concentration camps and they suffered very great trauma. Hate crimes against LGBTQIA people have only risen as we've gotten rights. I don't think eating disorders are really about desiring thinness. I think they're about desiring desirability. When somebody is trying to speak about you without you, things can go horribly wrong. By listening to the voices of others, we're taking the first step to bringing about change. Listening is a choice, and all action is is a personal choice, right, to move one direction or another. And so I think, at the very least, a generous listener has taken the action to listen, which is huge. Season one of the Demystifying Diversity podcast starts in September. Subscribe now for free wherever you get your podcasts and join us in our mission to create a more inclusive world. We could be the healing When you're feeling all alone We can be the reason To find the strength to carry on In a world that's so divided We shall overcome We can be the healing We can be the flower in the gun We can be the healing All right, friends, this has been another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza, your number one queer cripple and your disabled Dick Smith. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on all social media at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod.
If you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. We'd love to have you as a guest so you can shine a bright light on your disability story. If you want to support the show and get the show one day early along with ad-free versions of the show and a cool shout-out, you can head over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast Shining a Bright Light on Disability Story. We'll see you next time. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020